Hollywood Hauntings, the podcast, where we discuss anything from hauntings and ghosts to murders to the evil underbelly. Our hosts tonight are Jameson on the computer. We digitized Jameson like in Tron, so he's actually inside Hollywood. The robot dance really, really well. (laughs) It's true, yeah. That is, if he doesn't die in the flying disc game. <laughs> um, and then myself, I'm also hosting. And, and you are? And doing the, and the cinematic effects. Um, and uh, I'm Patrick Bean. I'm, and I'm here too. And Tia, behind us, yeah. is audience member slash cameraman slash... Slash... Slasher. Slasher. <laughs> she also enjoys a bit of slashing. I was gonna say in room decoration. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Oh, cat wrangler. Cat wrangler. Cat I'm wrangler. not gonna do that. That's Pat's job. I was about to say, <laughs> here's one right now. Here's, here's one coming up right here. There you go. Um, but yeah, so yeah, what story are you doing tonight, Jameson? So I'm doing a story about um, uh, Albert Heim. And uh, his uh, NDE, as they say in the industry, or the near-death experience. experiences. Oh, should I get to awesome. my off? So we're doing similar stories. Cool. Well, that was the uh, point. No. I thought yet. about this ahead of time. I know, should I but... turn the air off, though? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah okay, sorry. Hold on. I got to turn the heater off. <clears throat> it is chilly out there today. Yeah, man. I it was really that. cold. I mean, L.A. cold, but it was still cold. I mean, it's still cold, man. Like 50 right now. Well, we were talking about our built in the 30s, and there's um, pretty much chicken wire for insulation in this house. So, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> chicken wire, yeah. It's pretty damn cold here. All the windows are like slatted, so there's easily like any kind of stiff breeze comes, it goes right through the windows. Ooh. It's it's a it's a cold house, and we have we have one heater, which is a rarity in California, which I'm sure you guys can attest to. Right, right. But and it works, but it's only in one part of the house, and so therefore it's like that room is really hot, and everything else is kind of just sucks off of that energy. But it's, it's, it's funny when we moved into this apartment like three years ago, we I just assumed the heater didn't work because we've lived in so many apartments out here in LA that like <laughs> they don't have heaters because it's fucking LA, you know? Right. But like, yeah, so like. I just asked my landlord and they're like, Oh, okay, we'll send somebody. And then like the next day, somebody like just takes the face off the top of it, flips a switch, puts it back on. All right, cool. It's good to go. Yeah, there you go. Let your pilot light for it. Right? Yeah. Could you also get me like, you know, all the cable channels from the nineties? <laughs> also good for me, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm doing a, a, a book. Yeah. About the, not a book, but a, you know, a perspective, I guess, uh, as well on near-death experiences. Um, nice. So, to because we have a camera here and we'll have evidence, we could actually flip a coin. Well, I'll tell you what. What what year did your story take place? Um, what year did it take? It was twins. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say my 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 uh, subject seems to be um, kind of a pioneer of the field in a way. So I could I could start mine off and then you could jump on top of that if you want to do that. Yeah, yeah do it up, yeah. Okay. Um, all right, T, I'm going to make fun of you a little bit on this here. But uh, when I was doing my... Oh, why? <laughs> a little bit here. But when you, sent me, when you sent me my subject for this week, you spelled his last name wrong. Oh, I'm so, sorry. 
So when I was looking him up, I'm like, man, I cannot find any information about oh, this. I'm so sorry. What is going on here? I actually am really bad at reading and writing and spelling um, and grammar, like all the things that I need to do in life and podcasting and all that. <laughs> so I often spell words wrong and get confused about words. Surprisingly, I was able to win a prize in 25 words or less because it's all about words. <laughs> <laughs> Winner! That's a really good point. Actually. No, I had a panic moment because the word was meteor or something like that. And I didn't know, I couldn't, my brain could not think what a meteor was. I was like, I couldn't, I was like. And you're trying to say what a meteor is in the least amount of words. I was thinking meter or meteor. And I couldn't decide if that was the word, but it was obviously meteor. So I had to pass on it, but it's okay. It's nice. Fine. It all still, worked out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I, it's okay. It was kind of funny though, because I'm like, man, I I'm looking everywhere for this person, and I cannot find, like, am I spelling it right? This and that. Uh, and so finally, I, I typed in near death experience, and I found out that it was you had spelled it H E I N, and it was H E I M. So it wasn't like you, you had just missed. Uh, okay, okay. So it wasn't a major blunder, but uh, the person that kept coming up was like, was like a Swedish guy who owned a supermarket chain in the 1900s, and. I'm like, this so is not the same person. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Which would have been great if I did the whole story about that. And I was like, never found anything about a near-death experience in this uh, supermarket chain. But, you know, <laughs> he was a nice guy. Uh, <laughs> so once I found out uh, about about this gentleman, uh, so his name is Albert Heim. And his full name is Albert von St. Gallen Heim. And uh, he is born in Switzerland on April 12th, 1849. So this is quite a quite a long time ago. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's early. That's uh, starting and and just kind of going back to past stories of us. Um, that's kind of he's kind of born right in that um, boom of spiritualism. Uh, that's kind of like right around the time that the girls are doing their practical joke under mom, right? Eighteen forty nine, forty seven, something like that. Right. Yeah. So you know he 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 grows up in that that time of the, that explosion of spiritualism in the United States. Uh, now this is in the United States. He's in yeah. Switzerland. So maybe it's not as big over in Switzerland as, as it is in the United States, but I'm sure there's some kind of thing about that. Not that he's necessarily into that. Um, when I was doing research about this guy, there really wasn't a lot of um, personal information about him, like his childhood or anything like that. Um, they just kind of jump right into to him learning about things. Uh, what I was able to kind of find was that um, he was born in Zurich. And as a child, he really he loved the Alps. Apparently, his mother took him on like a hiking expedition or a, some kind of excursion that was either paid for or just with herself. But they did a tour of the Alps. And he was just mesmerized by how amazing the Alps were. And because of this, he actually started um, drawing them uh, in very fine detail and actually um, ended up becoming in uh, 1873, a professor of geology. So he actually learned how these mountains were made this way and why they look this way. And really, really was passionate about this, this field um, of uh, just geology. And uh, so it was kind of interesting that he, he delved really into this topic. Um, he actually just on a side note was really um, passionate about dogs as well. And uh, he, let me see here. Um, he was an expert on Senenhund. 
I believe is what it's called. Oh, sorry. Yeah, a Senenhund, uh, which is a type of Swiss mountain dog. And apparently uh, this breed was dying out and he was able to rejuvenate their, um, like their popularity in dog clubs. Uh, and he kind of basically put that dog back on the map in a way. Um, and these are kind of special dogs that are used in the mountains for like sheep herding and, and, and whatnot. So kind of a big, big dog, bigger dog, not a St. Bernard, that kind of thing, but, um, similar to the same kind of functions that a St. Bernard would do. Um, so he's really important in, in, in this field of geology. Um, he starts, uh, uh, he starts working in different universities, teaching in different universities in Zurich, um, and, and making a name for himself as, as a very popular teacher to, you know, uh, his classes are always full. People are very excited to, to, to see these things. Um, he even has apparently a, a ridge on, uh, the moon named Dorg, uh, Dorgum Heim. Uh, which is a spot on the moon, I guess. I don't, I don't really, I mean, there's a lot of ridges on the moon, so I don't know how they came up with that one, but <laughs> a piece of the moon is named after him. So again, he's, he's made an impact on, on the world enough to get that done. So enough to get, you know, yeah, a, a spot on the moon. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, going back to the dog thing, he reestablished that breed in 1909, by the way. So this is quite a while into his life. Um, smart guy wrote over 130 articles uh, he published 12 books and, and, um, atlases. Uh, he was married with two children. He was an artist. So he was a pretty accomplished fellow. Um, he belonged to a, an Al, an Alpine club. They call it the Swiss Alpine club. And there's not much information about him doing any of the expeditions or anything like that. But apparently on one of the expeditions, he, uh, he, he's on the, he's on the, the trail and going up and, I guess the wind caught his hat and he went to grab his hat and he fell. Okay. Now when he falls, um, I, I actually have a description of what he, it, what he wrote from his own description. I'll read it to you in a moment. Um, but when he falls, he feels that he has, um, what is called a near death experience where everything kind of slows down and whatnot, all the cliches of, of what people say when they almost die. And it took him, it took him, it, it hit him so strongly. It was so vivid. It was so real to him that he started asking other climbers in the club, has this ever happened to you when you almost died hiking up in the Alps? And there was a lot of guys in the club that had almost died and had similar experiences. Okay. So, uh, he, he interviews these 20 other survivors and he concludes that 95% of people facing death feel no pain, but actually well-being. Okay. And he kind of comes up with these three stages to this, this phenomenon happening. And stage one is resistance. Stage two is a panoramic review. And uh, uh, stage three is uh, transcendence. Um, but he feels that this happens to protect the subject from a, a traumatic experience. It's almost like your brain is coping with pain or the situation or whatever. But something comes over you and something happens. And um, he was very interested to see... Have other people ever experienced this in, in their lives when this happens? And he, like I said, he interviews all these guys in the Swiss Alpine Club in 1892, and he writes a, he writes a paper about it, and it's published. And it's kind of just, um, I don't want to say ignored, but just kind of like everyone's like, okay. And then it's not until almost 100 years later in, in 1972 that somebody 
finds this from America and it's like, holy shit, this is like, we've been talking about this stuff, you know, and they, and they bring, they bring it in and they have it translated and, um, and pub- republished in 1972. So this was kind of, you know, a spiritual awakening in the America drugs, hippie age, 1970s. People are talking more about crossing over. So his, his paper really hits home, especially since it's written in 1892. And, and they, they point to this as the first official published report about having a near-death experience. So that's why I was saying earlier that uh, he's kind of well-known for that. So I guess in a way he gets credit for that. No, that, 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 that's crazy. That's interesting. So um, let me see here. Let me, let me read you. And uh, we can edit, we can edit this or cut it out if it gets a little too boring. But this is, in essence, his um, his words. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily from the paper or what, but this is this is what his published um, feelings are. And what he when he starts off, he's thinking that this story will go in the order of him first falling, and all the experiences that he has on the way down to when he actually lands. Okay, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, um, and, and this is, this is how it goes. So he says, what I felt in five to 10 seconds could not be described in 10 times that length of time. All my thoughts and ideas were coherent and very clear and in no way susceptible as our dreams to obliteration. Okay. So clearly that's that, that you obviously can understand what that says. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I took in the possibilities of my fate and I said to myself, and then this is just kind of like where he's at on the mountain, the crag point, meaning like the, the, the tip of the uh, mountain, I guess, or I forget what crag means. It's like top of the rock or something, top of the ice. But I, he's saying that the crag point over which I fell will soon uh, be thrown evidently falls off below me as a steep wall. So he's just kind of thinking to himself as I fall down, like, where am I going to land basically? If I fall on the border of the snow, I may come out of this with my life. But if there's no more snow down there, how am I, you know, I'm sure I'm going to die. Then he says, if when I strike, I am not dead or unconscious, I must instantly seize my small flask of spirits of vinegar and put some drops from it on my tongue. I do not want to let go of my 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 alpenstock, which I guess I'm assuming is like his knapsack. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not sure what that means. Uh, He says, perhaps it can still be of use to me. Hence, I kept it tightly in my hand. My next thought is, I thought I should be taking off my glasses and throwing them away so that splinters from them might not injure my eyes. But I was so thrown and swung, meaning like I was bouncing around so much that I could not muster the power to move my hands for this purpose. A set of thoughts and ideas then ensued concerning those left behind. So now he's thinking about the people that are, you know, with the rest of his party. So I said to myself that upon landing below... I, I ought to, indifferent or whether or not I was seriously injured, to call immediately to my companions out of affection and say to them, I'm all right. Then my brother and three friends could uh, recover, their sho- recover from their shock so as to accomplish the fairly difficult descent to me. My next thought was that I would not be able to give my beginning. <laughs> then he starts thinking, oh, crap, now I can't give my speech that I was supposed to give at the university <laughs> in five minutes. <laughs> so this is all racing through his mind as he's bouncing off the walls, falling down. Uh, he fell. Uh, I'll tell you what, at the end when he felt how much he fell. Um, uh, then I considered how the news of my death would arrive for my loved ones. And I consoled them in my thoughts. Then I saw my whole past life. 
take place in many images as though at a stage, uh, excuse me, as though on a stage at some distance from me, I saw myself as the chief character in the performance. Everything was transfigured as though by a heavenly light and everything was beautiful without grief, without anxiety and without pain. The memory of very tragic experiences I had was clear, but not saddening. I felt no conflict or strife. Conflict had been transmuted into love. So it sounds like it's very, you know, calming and soothing, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Elevated and harmonious thoughts dominated and united the individual images. Like a magnificent music, a divine calm swept through my soul. I became even ever more surrounded by a splendid blue heaven with delicate rosette and violet cloudettes. Uh, finally, he says, I swept it painlessly and softly as I saw that now I was falling freely through the air and that under me a snowfield lay waiting. Objective, uh, objective, excuse me, objective observations, thoughts, and subjective feelings were simultaneous. Then I heard a dull thud and my fall was over. He fell 68 feet. Oh, damn. That's like to an icy ravine. That's like far, but also like not like watch your entire life go by, console with your body, do all these other things far. Right. So, (laughs) sorry, in 60, it was, yeah, in 60, sorry, it was 65 feet. In 65 feet, all of that raced through his head. That's crazy. Which, in essence, kind of is not a lot of time. You probably guess what? Maybe four, four seconds, five seconds right. if you're bound. Yeah. Maybe, maybe four seconds. Yeah. So he uh, he he oh. lands and obviously doesn't die. They're able to rescue him. He gets down there, and then all of this is just like seared into his brain, and now he's just mesmerized by it. Has anyone else felt anything like this besides me? And that's where he publishes his paper and he finds out that all these people do in fact kind of some you know very similar things happen to him now the thing that was that's kind of where the story ends with that they don't really go into much detail as far as the impact of the story on anybody else in europe uh nobody else kind of coming to the aid however i thought this was an interesting fact one of his students uh who attended his classes in the late 1800s was a, a gentleman named albert einstein Right? I know who that is. (laughs) I've heard that name before. Wasn't he on The Bachelor? No, (laughs) he's the guy in Beautiful Mind that wrote on the chalkboard. That's right. (laughs) Russell Crowe. That's right. So he, so he, he had to go, uh, he attended, sorry, he applied to this college and he was not, he did not make it in. So he applied again and he finally makes it in. And you're, you're supposed to take like this one elective class and he takes like two or three. And one, two, he takes ends up taking two classes from from Dr. Heim, uh, which is um, anthropology and geology. So it's speculated that while he would, you know, and I told you earlier, his classes were very popular. Popular. Um, it's speculated that he would maybe talk to the classes and just maybe mention some of these things or just kind of talk about them, and and uh, so maybe. Uh, maybe Einstein was listening in on these stories or perhaps approached him after class and was like, Hey, I want to ask you some questions about this. But the reason that I I bring this up is because 
Um, I don't know if this happened before or after. I have a feeling it happened afterwards. But Einstein was uh, living in was in Berlin, and he saw a man fall from the roof, uh, uh, from a rooftop. Okay, and when he arrived there to 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 see if the man was okay, the man was was barely hurt. And when he started talking to the guy, the guy said that he didn't feel he's the, the man who fell said that he didn't feel the effects of gravity when he was falling. And that got Einstein thinking to himself, possibly, uh, maybe this has to do with with time and space and relativity, therefore working into his whole, you know, E equals MC squared kind of thing, which is all, you know, has, I mean, this is way over my pay grade here. But, but, you know, that has to do with time and space and the way how time is relative to everything else. And so, in a way, they're saying, did... Einstein come up with this theory or this idea to, to approach this theory by the whole near-death experience thing where they say, again, time slows down. Like you were talking about, all that stuff went through his head in five seconds. Did time slow down for him? Does that affect reality? You know what I mean? So, okay. so here, here is this professor. He gets... Um, he almost dies, has his near-death experience, talks about it during his class. Einstein hears that as like, hmm, that's kind of crazy. Sees this guy fall, takes that and goes, man, I wonder if there is a difference between it and starts to break it down and then it therefore comes up to the theory of relativity. Crazy. That's a, that's a very clean-cut story, but I thought that was very interesting, not knowing much about... I mean, I've heard about people talking about near-death experiences and stuff, of course, you've always heard that, but... To do the research and to hear this, I thought that was very interesting. I, Einstein's one of my idols. I think I just think he, I did a report on him when I was a little kid, and I thought he was just a really cool guy. And to think that he was able to kind of you know get this whole like how is space relative to what you're doing and this and that, and equating that to this story, I thought that was a very interesting connection that most likely happened in some form of or another. Uh, very impressed. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a trip. Yeah, that's awesome. So, he's th this gentleman here, Albert Heim. Uh, he, he, I think he's one of those guys that like he's well known, but he's not notorious. And he probably could be if people heard a little bit more about him or he was promoted a little bit better. But definitely an important person in that field as far as pioneering stories about it, at least, and and writing it down in in some kind of like documented form. That's crazy. Yeah. So pretty yeah, interesting. The Einstein connection. That's that's a trip. Yeah. I uh he basically said uh you know, they were asking like, did Heim's account of his near-death experience suggest that time and space were not fixed and constant? Because that's what the whole thing was, is that they felt that like time goes by a clock, no matter what, one second is one second. And he, you know, Einstein's basically able to prove like that's not necessarily true. You know, it just has to do with what's around you kind of thing. You know, when, when a rock is flying through space, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that was interesting that he was able to prove that time does kind of, in fact, slow down in a way. Uh, I guess relative to time and space together. So, again, yeah, that's, that's, that's some that's, petty shit. So, no, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, awesome. and, you know, also happening to him, you know, him, all this stuff races through his head in five seconds as he's bouncing off of walls and shit, you know. Um, a, a lot of people, uh, spoke of that and they were saying that they didn't necessarily feel pain or things like that because, uh, they almost like sh shut down or things were happening as they were supposed to be feeling this pain. And, 
they really had no sensation of that, you know. That's yeah, that's interesting. It's crazy. It's it's crazy because like the near death experience, like everything kind of like slows down, you know. Right. Uh, but have you ever like had an accident where you're like riding your bike and then you like you know fly off your bike or okay? So like I obviously I've done that. <laughs> so that was very specific. Was very specific. Uh, yeah. But I remember like riding my bike one time and I wasn't paying attention. Then all of a sudden like a post just comes up out of nowhere and like I'm flying off the post and I hit the ground and it was all very quick, like boom, boom, boom. You know, it wasn't like this, like slow down process. It was just so like, for you're boom, saying boom, boom. you, you're saying it did not slow down for you. No, but that's because I wasn't like gonna die. I wasn't right. on this like, time where like it's gonna slow down you know mm-hmm. i don't know about you like have you ever had like an experience where like time slowed down for you or um no the only time i could think of is like um like playing playing like soccer you know if, if you ever like like whenever i whenever i would actually did, like back up it, yes, whenever I would bend it exactly like Becca, <laughs> the time would just. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Taylor kick into the goal. No, but like yeah, it was like any time like I it, they they like like they call it like the zone like when you're in completely in the zone it's just you're just completely focused on one thing you know right. it's like. Yeah, I feel like you, you time slows down for a little bit, you know, but I feel like that's also like a mental thing of like your brain adjusting because you're so completely focused on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, nothing like really like, I feel like I've had a few near death experiences, you know, I never really experienced any of the symptoms that I'm about to go over. But yeah, well, I did actually have probably a pretty near death experience and I don't remember any of it which is pretty crazy. Yeah, you were in a car accident, right? Yeah. Uh, And I remember picking up my boyfriend. My sister was driving. We picked up my boyfriend from his house early in the day. And then I remember waking up in the hospital. So I don't remember the time after the time picking him up. Like, I I honestly don't even remember picking him up. It feels like a dream, Mm. you know? Uh. I like dreamt about picking him up. I dreamt about him being late and running to the car. And I remember him having this side bag that I had given him and him running to the car with the side. It was like a camouflage side bag that I had given him. So obviously it, obviously that was real. And he had that, he had this side bag and he was running to the car. I'm sorry. I'm late. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then I remember hearing, screams and yelling and crying and people talking and people being very agitated and then waking up in a hospital bed Hmm. like like time moved faster you know it was very weird it wasn't like this slowdown of time you know Hmm. uh yeah it was very very weird you know and it was weird to like have him and have my sister tell me what actually happened because they were awake during all of it. They didn't go unconscious like I did, you know, 
That sounds like in the movies where they get drugged and then they wake up and they see the helicopter and then they close back their eyes and then they're in a car and then they close their eyes and they're... Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I was laughing because you you're, you were giving your explanation and that's kind of the only time that something like that's ever happened to me is when I was driving my, my motorcycle. When you said bike, I was like, yeah. Because I know you know I drive a motorcycle and <laughs> I crashed my motorcycle in 2004 or something like that. And, um, I, it was just, an, I went down myself. I didn't hit anybody or nobody hit me, but when I went down, I remember it happening kind of slowly in front of my eyes as I was realizing I was going down. Um, it, it did slow down for me. And I was like, man, that's crazy. Uh, it was almost like the movies where it's like, you know, something's happening and all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I could feel myself falling. And I mean, I didn't, again, I didn't fall far or anything like that, but. I guess maybe my brain panicked, like, oh, shit, we're going down. And then things slowed down, so. Yeah, that's absolutely. But then, yeah, like you said, nothing, no no dear death experiences. I mean, I've gone skydiving, but I wasn't, yeah. I didn't think I was going to die because I had a parachute. So, you know, <laughs> I wasn't panicking. So, uh, but yeah, very interesting story for not having known any backstory about this kind of thing. That was, I thought the Albert Einstein thing definitely added a, a little cherry on top of the story of, uh, what he did yeah no that's awesome yeah, that's really cool. i'm glad you enjoyed that because i knew nothing <clears throat> about that um. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so it was cool uh so thanks for the thanks for the uh report or for the uh, uh totally uh i learned he was briefly mentioned in a documentary that's on netflix right now called um what is it called uh well, i know you're talking about it. i've seen that yeah. i haven't seen in a commercial for it like life after death or yeah, something, something like that it's on something Netflix generic now uh but yeah these two people your subject and pat's subject was very briefly mentioned and so i was like you know what let's you know that sounds good <laughs> i'll make someone else research it and it'll be good <laughs> <laughs> love it yeah. Um, all right. So speaking of the someone else, um, uh, I, yeah. I, I researched, uh, the other guy, which would be Raymond Moody. Um, and he wrote the book life after life, which I think is what the title is uh, of the Netflix thing. Oh God. I look it up. <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't know. But, uh, his book was published in, uh, 2015, uh, however it was written earlier. Um, just starting off, while reading the book, I actually began to reanalyze myself and my actual beliefs, not only in the afterlife, but in religion in general. Like, that's how deep I got into this book. Uh, it was, it's bad. It's wait, bad. were you quoting somebody or are you quoting yourself? I'm quoting myself. I wrote uh, that down. We're not going to church. No, no, no. <laughs> No. Not against uh, no, anybody who no, goes I'm to not, church. I'm but not like, saying. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I believe. I'm not going to say I. Ha I okay. have a religion I want to believe in. I'm saying I just. Can't. I have different beliefs on religion. Hold on yeah, a second. Did the card carrying member of the Church of Satan just say they're not going to go to a religion? I know, right? Yeah. No, thank like, you. Hail Satan. I, whatever. I'm, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> <laughs> <There's> <laughs> so, there is service. Okay. 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 <laughs> All right, Homer Simpson, or whatever they okay, call. I'm service. having a mini panic attack right now, um, <laughs> but it's all good. 
Um, no, I just uh, there was, yeah, there, it was it was some interesting stuff. I guess that that's all I meant to say. Jeez. Makes you think. It makes uh, you think, huh? Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, proceed. But uh, yeah, life after life uh, specifically talks about the possibility of an afterlife uh, using data from people with near death experiences. And in the book that I read uh, or I listened to on Audible, thanks Audible. Get that sponsor please sponsor us right, yeah so we can listen to more <laughs> books <laughs> um but no it was actually a quick read it was only like six hours so it was, it was uh it's it was in very very interesting um but um so yeah it's it's all it's most pretty much the the huge chunk of the book is just um interviews or uh people's um near-death experiences them telling it themselves um, and they started out with like over 300 people and they kind of n- botched it down to like 200, just a little over 200 to kind of, um, they wanted to get people with multiple, um, symptoms of not symptoms, uh, experiences. experiences, you know, different types of experiences, you know, they wanted to get the most so they could get a better, um, I guess data count with that. Um, yeah. And the reason that they started this was uh, by the la- latter part of the 1900s, the American Medical Association claimed that dying patients were robbed of dignity through medical interventions, with most people dying in the hospital rather than before modern medicine when they would die at home with their families. Uh, that's basically meaning that people fear death and they, they thought the hospitals, you know, like they would thought that, you know, the the patient's family can't handle that the patient is dying. So they would actually isolate dying patients. Hmm. So it became like a, so nobody else had to deal with the anguish and grief. Exactly. I get that was like your thought, you know, but like, it's it's kind of very sad. Yeah. It's, it's really messed up. (laughs) Listen, we're going to lock in this room back here because you're really bringing everyone down. So what I mean, like, it's like, like you know, and, and they were actually, they actually lied to the patients a lot. Oh, even better. Right? Yeah, exactly. Nobody yeah. came to see you. Sorry. Yeah, like They're now, actually outside uh, just sitting. They're outside crying. You know what I mean? Like, God, what are they called? They're called like death doulas or something like that. But their job is basically to help a family like facilitate that transition, you know, of dealing with death and, uh, dealing with grief and the normalcy of it you know mm-hmm. i think it's called a doula i watch a lot of youtube uh and ask a mortician they talk a lot about the doula and like how normal and how beautiful death and the whole process can be and how grief is important and you know yeah like it's supposed to be shared and it's supposed to be you know, understood and looked at, and it's a beautiful thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, sorry. No, no, you're good. Um, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, but um, a, a doula is going to be the person that's kind of like your grief therapist through the process of the uh, funeral. They might be there while your loved one is dying. They might be there afterwards they're going to be putting like flowers and incense in the room and like kind of facilitating like this whole process of the death of your loved one you know but they're there really to show you how beautiful and like normal it really is you know Mm -hmm. 
and include everyone, not hide it away in a room. Like, what is that? You know? We're going to stick you in the broom closet, okay? Right. Um, so this um, agitated a lot of people, you know, but this was um, the 70s, basically, even, you know, it's like, um, so a woman named Dr. Elizabeth Kugler Ross, uh, she was one of the first people to document um, dying people, basically. And a lot of doc doctors um, didn't really like her be for doing this. They thought it was mean and cruel that she was interviewing dying patients and trying to get their feelings and what they were going through, and, mm -hmm. you know. And um, she noticed that a lot of these patients had similar feelings, and most of them that knew they were dying or even some that didn't, you know, weren't told they were dying, knew they were dying. You know, mm -hmm. they could feel that they were dying, yeah. you know, and they could kind of tell or, you know, maybe they could kind of know the doctors are lying to them. Um, so uh, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, um, born in J July 8th, 1926. She's a Swiss-American psychiatrist and a pioneer in near-death studies. She is the author of the best-selling book On Death and Dying, uh, published in 1969, and this is where she first discussed her theories of uh, five stages of grief, which is also known as the Kubler-Ross model. Uh, the first stage being denial, second, um, anger, third, bargaining, fourth, depression, and fifth, acceptance. Um, and that's something yeah, that's still used widely today. Yeah. Five stages of grief. Yeah. There's a really funny robot chicken sketch that makes fun of that. Uh, really? Like that. It's like a, it's a giraffe in a quicksand pit. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, of course it is. Like yeah. only if there was GI Joe in there, would it it's make great. Oh, it's great. he's yeah, sinking into the quicksand and he's going through the five stages. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I can't believe they're gone. I'm so angry. They're gone. Okay. I promise I'll change if they come back. Can you see what the five stages are again? Uh, denial. Like, I I can't believe I'm I'm not I'm not dying I'm definitely not dying. And then there's anger where you're like, die I'm dying. I guess yeah. I don't know. Bargain. <laughs> uh, I promise I'll you know go to church every day if you save my yeah. life. Uh, depression, obviously that's pretty yeah. self-explanatory. And then acceptance that you kind of accept that you're but going to die. And this isn't this isn't even from the person who's dying. Like the people who are dealing with a dying or dead loved one also go through these stages as well mm -hmm. you know like denial like i can't believe this happened They're like i can't believe it and then you know anger and bargaining like um when my sister passed away i like i definitely went through maybe not all of those but some of those and i definitely saw her daughter and you know closer family go through all of those and uh you know I'm not going to talk too much on that um but that was a hundred percent something I saw as people who were affected by it more than even people who were going through it you know mm -hmm. so oh, that's interesting um she was the 2007 inductee into the National Women's Hall of Fame she was named by Time as one of the 100 most important thinkers of the 20th century. 
and was the recipient of 19 honorary degrees. Uh, by July 1982, Kubler-Ross taught 125,000 students in death and dying courses in colleges, seminaries, medical schools, hospitals, and social work institutions. Uh, unfortunately, her reputation began to decline as she was criticized for a period when she began researching the controversial subject of NDEs, which Jameson pointed out stands for near-death experiences. Uh, Elizabeth was also an advocate uh, for spiritual guides and the afterlife, serving on the advisory board of the International Association for Near-Death Studies, or IONS. Elizabeth reported her interviews with the, <clears throat> the dying for the first time in her book on death and dying. Um, Kubler-Ross uh, suffered a series of strokes between 1987 and 1995, which eventually left her partially paralyzed on her left side. In the meantime, the Healing Waters Farm and the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Center closed. She found herself living in a wheelchair, basically waiting to die. In 1997, Oprah flew to Arizona to interview her and discuss with Elizabeth if she herself was going through the five stages of grief which she created. <laughs> Isn't that kind of fucked up? Like, is that, it's like, yeah, I don't know. But, <laughs> but, like, but you know, you know, Oprah did it right. Of course, you know, yeah, but, but like reading it, it's kind of like, well, that's weird. Those are the questions like that need to be asked. Yeah. And also, like also I, I, I added myself, uh, that she wrote herself. She, Oprah didn't say that. She didn't show up like, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. You think this you, is a thing? You wrote your damn five stages. Tell me what it is. Get angry. No. Deny it. Um, in a 2002 interview with the Arizona Republic, she stated that she was ready for death and even welcomed it, calling God a damned procrastinator. Elizabeth died in 2004 at the age of 78. Uh, so this is In Comes Moody, paging Dr. Moody, Raymond A. Moody Jr., he was born in June 30th, 1944. He's a philosopher, psychologist, physician, and author of the book Life After Life, which I read. Uh, it was actually really good in case, you know, Raymond's watching this. You know, pretty good Is stuff. he still alive? <coughs> um, yeah, there wasn't like a ending date on his Wikipedia, so unless they haven't updated it yet. Um, there wasn't an ending date. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when you look someone up, if there's an end date, obviously it's not like a, oh, this must be their wedding. <clears throat> it's like, ooh, guess they're not with us anymore. Um, but he, uh, he is actually, um, apparently, given credit for coining the term near death experience. I don't know. I don't know why. It mostly because he used it in his best selling book, Life After Life. Hmm. I think uh, <clears> time. <throat> It was that. it was published it was published in 1975, but I, maybe just because he published it, but he just coined the term. I don't, did, I don't really know what Albert that means. Albert actually say near death experience, or was it? That's a good. Well, I mean, you got to remember it's written in um, Swiss. So, that's true. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it was translated. So how it was translated? That's a good question. Hey, you know Swiss. I don't speak Swiss accent even. <laughs> you do have the sweet. <clears throat> Tales, that's true yes wait, i'm also please. wearing my tracksuit right now oh wait no we're on camera wait this does kind of look like a tracksuit 
He's wearing a Patriots. Oh, man. Oh, my God. They're going to think I, I sports. We don't um, sports. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Raymond Moody's research uh, yeah, is to explore what happens when a person dies. He has widely published his views on what he terms near-death experience psychology. Um, like I said before, dying patients were given uh, what is known in, in this industry is called the loving lie. Which is like, you know, like it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. You're not gonna die right now. Um, They were not told the truth about their medical situation in order to help them with the fear of death, which I I thought probably resulted in a lot of angry families. Um, That's not exactly fair. Yeah, it's it's not not. fair. No, it's totally not. And also, like we we know so little about dying, you know, and like that's it's great that people actually went into this field to investigate it because that there's a whole link missing from, you know, a hospital trying to get you better and then realizing you're terminal and then just kind of, okay, we put you into a room, you know, like that there has to be something different. Yeah. Um, near death experiences are most often seen, um, or most often reported after modern medicine. And that's because, if you think about it, that's, you know, we're more able to resuscitate patients and bring them back to life. Now there's modern technology. So people that were probably going to die or chosen to die, if that's how you believe, you know, were like brought back, um, surviving death. I'm so sorry. I just remembered what the Netflix show was called. Oh, okay. Surviving death. I'll write it down. Um, (laughs) so some of the, Uh, near-death experiences are uh, um, a sense of awareness of being dead kind of um, a lot of the people reported that yeah they kind of like had this whole moment of being like you know light you know light as a feather and kind of like why is everyone walking past me type of thing Um, then there is a sense of peace or well-being and painlessness like you talked about like a feeling of love you know Uh, positive emotions um a tunneling experience or entering darkness um some people call it see it as a sense of moving up or through a passageway or a staircase um some people report a rapid movement toward a immersion or powerful light um some report it being a being of light um uh, receiving a life review or like you, I, I think you mentioned, what did you say? A pan, like a panoramic story or something? But like, like your life flashing before you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he yeah. felt like he was on a, like he was watching himself on a stage or something like that. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's one of them. Uh, seeing one's life flash before their eyes, basically, uh, approaching a border or a decision by oneself to return to one's body which is often accompanied by a reluctance to return to your body. Um, then the last one would be, I guess, suddenly finding yourself back in your body. Um, there's also a loud ringing heard before entering the long, dark tunnel. And some people even called the, t- the tunnel the Valley of the Shadow of Death, which I thought was super creepy, but, you know, maybe... You know, ringing? Uh, yeah, like a loud ringing. Um, other people also heard it as loud or loud, beautiful music. Um, other people heard it as just very, very intense noise, I guess. 
Um, yeah, some recall hearing beautiful music playing louder and louder. Um, it was really interesting. Uh, when these people reported about their near-death experiences, they said it was hard to describe because these are experiences that are basically beyond human comprehension. Uh, one woman explained it very succinctly, saying, I'm having a difficult time explaining it to you because all of the words I know are three-dimensional. They taught us in geometry that there were three dimensions, but they were wrong. There's more. Which kind of brings me to thinking when you brought up the whole Einstein thing and time slowing down and uh, different dimensions, you know, and that, that whole wormhole opening up. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a whole different episode. Um, <laughs> it is interesting to note that no one has ever reported all 15 of the near-death experience um, symptoms, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, several have reported some or most of them, but none of them have reported all. And, I think it's got to be unique to a person. Well, well, also, I think it's... You know. I think it's also hard to understand and remember all of these. Like you said, that guy that fell 64 feet and experienced like a, a thousand hours worth of time at once, mm -hmm. you know? I, I think it's hard to even remember that, much less sure. go through all of it. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, that was after, yeah, over 200 people were interviewed for, for this uh, that had actual near-death experiences. Uh, James Winery of the Warfare Institute developed a way of inducing a near-death experience, and this was kind of accidentally, uh, when he would put fighter pilots in a centrifuge, uh, and this is originally meant to test them to see how much G-force they can withstand. Um, so some of them were having out-of-body experiences, um, the the tunneling obviously but maybe that could have been from you know spinning around and around um but some of them did report near-death experiences going going through this um so this became like uh, a way they would induce it um a psychomantium is another way of inducing it uh, psychomantium uh, was developed to communicate with de dead relatives it was independently developed, and then even a few Russian scientists discovered it and developed their own as well. What is that? I've never heard of that before. Well, I'm glad you asked. Inspired by the Greek psychomantiums, where the ancient Greeks would go to consult the apparitions of the dead, uh, which Moody had read about in classic Greek texts that he encountered while uh, he was a student at the University of Virginia. Moody built a psychomantum uh, in Alabama, which he calls the Dr. John D. Theater of the Mind. By staring into a mirror in a dimly lit room, Moody claims that people are able to summon visions of spiritual apparitions. People also call this mirror gazing. So this is in where it comes from in uh, Greek culture. Uh, before this, what's that? You don't have to say Candyman. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you don't. No, mm. it's true. <laughs> I'm sure about that. Um, so yeah, this word came from in Greek culture. Uh, before the Temple of Ceres at Patris or Patris, um, I don't know. I don't have any Greek friends. Sorry. <laughs> Patris. Uh, there, <laughs> Patris. Uh, there was a fountain separated from the temple by a wall, and there was an oracle, very truthful, not for all events, but for the sick only. The sick person let down a mirror suspended by a thread till its base touched the surface of the water, 
having first prayed to the goddess and offered incense. Then, looking into the mirror, he saw the passage or the presage, presage of death or recovery, according as the face appeared fresh and healthy or of a ghastly aspect. Uh, historically, afterlife experiences, discussions, and thoughts started as early as Plato's writings. Uh, Plato describes it similarly, uh, similarly uh, as the way the patients with near-death experiences describe it. Um, same similarities included in his writing are the tunnel of which the soul passes into the afterlife. Um, one patient actually literally described it uh, as the valley of the shadow of death, like I said before. And he, uh, Plato, actually goes has uh, several things about the tunnel. Uh, they also experience a bright white light, which should be familiar to anybody that's watched a movie or a TV show that talks about death <laughs> <laughs> or read a book. Um, but that's probably why it is a thing, you know? People actually had near-death experiences and wrote it down. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, like, when I, I had the car accident, like, it was like, it was like boyfriend running to the car, driving maybe a little bit which felt like a dream and then bright white light then like voices in my head of screams and like it was like a, a summation of what had gone on because i woke up a day and a half later uh and it was kind of like a summation of like what had gone on in the accident i heard screamings from people who were in the accident and then i heard like the nurses screaming and yelling and all of this stuff and then I like somehow woke up you know but I woke up in the middle of me talking which was crazy because I was like talking I had been talking for a while and apparently I was really rude and <laughs> um not very nice <laughs> uh which I heard about later and I got in trouble for um because yeah be what are you, butters? Uh, I was in high school and my mom was very mad that I cursed. Yeah, no, I cursed out the nurses and I got in trouble for cursing out the nurses. But I think it was mostly, it was unconscious me not understanding where I was right, or what yeah. was going on. Yeah. Uh, and I got, I got in a lot of trouble for it, actually, which was kind of traumatic because I was... Um, had broken vertebrae, didn't understand where I was, and all of a sudden I'm here and I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, Damn so, it, Dan, you're grounded. Right. Yeah, it was it was pretty awful actually. That's um, crazy. But yeah, it was like a bright light, and then like you know, like all these people like talking, but like it was like a, a summary of what was going on, and then I was there, and. I was there mid-sentence, which was so fucking weird. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, the patients also describe being able to speak a universal language with um, the beings of light. Um, mm. Or just the beings that somehow... Some of, some of them are said to have helped them, like, to pass on, you know, to, like, to, to try and, you know, get them to coax in, I guess. Um, also others describe seeing figures from their past life, uh, or friends that have died or family that has died, you know, that are kind of welcoming them as well on the other side of the tunnel. 
Um, uh, most records claim they were showing a vision of their life and are then asked by the entity if they should go back to their body or move on to the afterlife. All of these patients record having <clears throat> out-of-body experiences, whether it was through a near-death experience or a serious injury that caused them to reach this point. The ones that had actual near-death experiences claimed theirs lasted for much longer, even though some of these things happened in an instant. All of the patients record the out-of-body experiences as looking down on themselves as being able to pass through anything in the physical realm. Um, that was one I was thinking of too, is like every time they talk about having these out-of-body experiences, they usually go up, you know? There's a few of them that kind of fell through the bed or, you know, and just, they're very few, but most of them seem to kind of go up and then they fly through the ceiling, you know? Kind of yeah. made me think of like how ghosts are always, you know, like when you ever see like a ghost that's, you know, in a movie, they're always chilling out in the corner, you know, like <laughs> that gray, dark black mist or whatever. Like, I feel like maybe that's a person like, you know, maybe, the, I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a uh... ghost question I just wanted to throw out there, I guess. Okay. Uh... <laughs> Where was I? Sorry. The entire time you were talking, like, I think it was Patrick's way <laughs> that's all i'm doing right now i'm making a, i'm making a vase for you right now jameson i said i'm i'm making a vase for you right now he wants you to like spoon him that's what that's that's what that sound is it's wet clay oh <laughs> uh, even though they see people uh, trying to resuscitate them and bring them back to life, they still report feeling an incredible calm and loved sensation. Uh, most people don't want to go back to their body, um, which is weird. And that's this is kind of where I had this kind of change in like, because I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm incredibly afraid of death. And that was a question we used to get on the tour all the time. And I don't know if it was just because or maybe I got it a lot, you know, maybe you guys never got that. The question is like, are you afraid of death? I used to get that oh, question all the time. extremely personal. Isn't it though? Yeah. But it's also like, I run a ghost tour. I get it. You know, yeah. you probably like think I'm like some fucking weird guy. That's like, no way. I can't wait. Yeah. You know, like, no, fuck that. Dads, I don't know what's going on. At like, least you didn't get dads making fun of you. But <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, no, of course I did. Are you kidding me? Oh, okay. <laughs> Dads are the worst. Dads are the worst. Thanks, Sorry, thanks, Jameson. Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> You're responsible for all dads. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I can't blame you on that comment. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Um, yeah, but yeah, like I said, yeah, most people don't want to go back. You know, they just have this crazy, warm, loved sensation. People are inviting them that they used to hang out with. You know, I guess. Um, one man reports actually being too worried that uh he was taking care of his nephew um because his um brother had passed i think um i should have written that down but anyway he was taking care of his nephew him and his wife and he was worried that his wife wouldn't be able to take proper care of his nephew and the entity apparently granted him this wish to live until his nephew became a man all of this was said in no dialogue. It was just this universal language that he was speaking with the entity, of course. Um, that's what everybody says. There was no real dialogue spoken. Um, another early exp er, uh, 
uh, use of the near-death experience was actually Paul in the New Testament. Um, but some do believe that these philosophers and writers could have influenced each other. Uh, Plato even openly admits that he had read books on Eastern mysticism where the Tibetan Book of the Dead was written and revealed as real knowledge about the afterlife. Uh, are you guys familiar with the Tibetan Book of the Dead? Read it twice last week. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good read. That, that John Grisham. No, but... <laughs> no, but... Uh... Um, also known as the Bardo Thodol. Uh, I totally said that wrong. Bardo... Bardo Thodol? I don't know. Uh, the liberation through hearing during the, during the intermediate state, which is commonly known in the West as the Tibetan Book of the Dead, is a text from a larger corpus of teachings, the profound dharma of self-liberation through the intention of the peaceful and wrathful ones. Revealed by Karma Lingpa in 1326 to 1386. It is the best known work of Nyingma literature. Uh, so Buddhism, basically. Mm -hmm. Very, 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 very early. Uh, which is kind of creepy that they have all of this stuff written down. And it's, it's that 1326, that's a trip. Uh, the Tibetan text describes and is intended to guide one through the experiences that the consciousness has after death. In the Bardo, the interval between death and the next rebirth. The text also includes chapters on the signs of death and rituals to undertake when death is closing in or has taken place. Um, also, uh, Paul could have pulled from uh, Greek philosophy and religions which discuss the psychomantium because that was out before Paul wrote in the New Testament, if, if the timelines are, you know, accurate. Um, Plato also looked at isolation as being a cause for symptoms reflecting a near-death experience. Uh, people that were isolated on shipwrecks or lost in the woods would experience the same symptoms. Uh, some reported psychological phenomenon, such as their life being flashed before their eyes in a panoramic view or being helped out by angels. Um, in the afterward, the author claims to have come up with a guided way of having a visual encounter with, a love, with loved ones that have recently passed. Uh, he claims that this will help with people who just want five more minutes. Moody has been described also as a strong believer in the paranormal. His methods have drawn some criticism from the scientific community as many of the reports he collected on near-death experiences were given by the patients themselves but also like we talked about before they're talking about things that are are indescribable that haven't happened in human history and your human experience so how would you be able to describe it or get real data or evidence on any of this yeah. um so yeah it, it was it was it's it's interesting you know uh, Moody claims to have actually had a near-death experience in 1991 when he attempted suicide. Um, this is something he talks about in one of his books uh, called Paranormal. He said it was the result of an undiagnosed thyroid condition which affected his mental state. In an interview in 1993, Moody stated that he was placed in a mental hospital by his family for his work with mirror gazing, which was the psychomantium. So... Yeah, maybe this was all just a you know a big thing about wanting to get into mirror gazing. I kind of <clears throat> honestly like gazing I into. I see ghosts, but it was just my thyroid. Like, like I don't, I don't know what that is. You know, it's like that. That's a whole, that's a whole different story. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the whole like 
yeah i just thought i just thought it was very interesting that he he was staring into a mirror you know to cause this whole thing but it's like there's a lot of like transfusions of that like have you ever heard of the like those pods that you hang out in what are the isolation pods yeah i've done that before an isolation uh, tank. yeah the isolation tanks yeah i, I feel like i feel like that would be very similar you know have, uh, floating uh, having a the feeling of floating you see hallucinations you see lights i don't i could see that being very similar sure but uh, but i was in canada and we uh retreated to to an hour of that i honestly i think two hours is a little bit better than one because it takes you almost a full hour just to kind of get <coughs> doing it you know such an odd experience of floating there by yourself quiet in the dark interesting yeah. it's cool it's very relaxing but it's more I mean, I mean i guess you could go to another mental state but uh you know people could do that doing you know just like uh, meditation meditation yeah see yeah. I, that's what that's how i feel is like i think that you know we're just not you know tapping the right areas yeah. exactly um sure, meditation is definitely a form of the whole near-death experience because you know people say yeah. they can leave their bodies and yeah, I feel like souls linger around <laughs> after death. I don't know if you agree with that. Said souls, souls linger around? Like, like, after after death. Like, after, you know, it's not like... Are you talking about ghosts, or are you talking about just for, like, a little bit, and then... For a little bit before you move on. Mm -hmm. sure. my, my best friend's mother says swears that she saw her dad after he died. Yeah. You know, at the foot of her bed for a few minutes and just kind of went on, and that was it, but it was, like, you know... The next day or something like that where they're just kind of saying their final goodbye so sure i could i could totally see that well well like talking about that one guy who had this whole discussion with this entity about like you know like i i want to stay for my nephew you know like mm -hmm. i want to make sure he gets taken care of like i think that's like a whole like yeah who who knows if how fast time was moving during all of that conversation yeah you know that could have been like yeah. a few days and then like finally you know they realize you know he needs to go back or you know. yeah because i mean it's not uncommon for people to talk to people that aren't there when they're dying right yeah that happens all the time. when i was communicating doing that doing you know my, my communication with friends that have passed on kind of thing you know I, i'd always be like oh let's communicate this and that i i the problem is is that i feel like you look too much for like a sign of like the movie so you know you're 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 relying too much on a visual and and they're more like that's not how it works mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, so for me, like, I was always looking for that light flicker, like, you know, something would happen and you'd, and you'd hear a noise or something, you know, so-and-so, are you in the room? If you are, you know, do this, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was always, I always, I, I get to, he tells me, uh, when I say he, I mean, the, my, my friend who's passed on, says, oh, you overthink everything. You're, you're not, you're not in tune with your heart so much. You, you're more in tune with your head and you overthink things, so. It'll probably never work for you. <laughs> you overthink it. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Makes sense. I mean, I, I, mean, I overthink all the time, so. <laughs> you're thinking about movies, you're thinking about, this, you know, it's projected to you in a certain way that it's going to happen, and when it doesn't, you're like, well, you know, it's not like the movies. Why are you not doing it like that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Spell my name out of the fog in the bathroom or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, absolutely. If you feel like that there's something there, it probably is, you know, because you have that, like you said, you had a feeling come over you that never 
who had never felt before. You yeah. Know? But I so. mean, it was also like physical evidence that had never happened. Sure. We've never had the power go out or the lights flicker or anything like that. It was like that one time. And I just, I just didn't say anything because like, I'm not the, oh, the lights flickered. Oh, it's a ghost, you know? Right. And everything. But no, yeah, like, yeah, I guess like, I don't know, in closing, like, I, I, I thought like that, I, you know, I'm not like religious or anything anymore still. I'm just like saying that, you know, like I, I understand, I always understood religion as to be a way of dealing with death. Um, because knowing you have um angels and shit and all this other stuff ahead of you you know it kind of makes it easier to slide into that and and i that's what i always thought of religion because i i I still don't really truly understand you know why someone would subject themselves to just one way of thought um but that that's just me um but 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 like in what i meant what i mean to say is that i my whole i I feel i have a new perspective knowing like not knowing but knowing that other people have had experiences that are positive and you know kind of knowing that death is uh maybe just a transition and a new dimension and the soul can live on you know like having any type of evidence of that is a is a positive thing for me you know because i I, for the longest time, always, I mean, I still kind of believe, you know, like, we're, we just become dirt, and then, then that's it, you know, but this, reading this kind of gave me, gave me the light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) I, you know, like, I would say the interesting thing about the topics that we cover, whether it's ghosts or uh, the afterlife or anything like that, is that, and same with religion, is that you can never, we never have any solid let's say, proof, quote-unquote, that, that this is for real, you know, um, something that you can show everybody else with their own eyes, which is usually what people is accept as proof, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but when when certain things happen the same way to the same amount of people, or just to a lot of people over time, and everyone kind of has the same, you know, thoughts and situations happen to them, you know, do you, do you feel that there is some truth to it? Maybe not 100%, but, you know, certain words keep coming around to different people even though they're from different countries or different religions or anything like that you know i always find that it's interesting when you hear these things that you know all these or, or even going down like you know things with aliens and stuff like same things keep being said and some of those things same things keep lining up right and, yeah you know same thing with ghost stories same thing with near-death experiences all these things that same thing with religious experiences these are all things that happen that Nobody can have physical proof of. They only have their own word to go on. But yet, you know, 100, 200, 300 years ago, people were saying the same same thing. And, you know, even going back to like, again, I the only spiritual thing or any kind of paranormal thing that I've personally ever experienced is, and I've talked to you guys about this and even shown you it, is doing that channeling uh, session with right, yeah. where she channeled a spirit into her body and let this spirit take over her body and talk and, and be in this vessel, if you will. And when he spoke, because, you know, I would, I would talk to friends that had passed on just recently and, you know, whenever he talked about things, cause he would go on and on about the afterlife and not even 
not even me asking questions, him just giving this information up front before I've said a freaking word. He's said a lot of things that you hear about this stuff, you know, about your, your loved ones meeting you afterwards and, and going through the events of your life and all these things that he said that I was like, no shit, I've heard that before. Or, you know, they've said that in this, or I've seen that in that. And so that was very interesting to me when I'm doing that. Because again, coming into that situation, coming into the channeling thing as, as skeptical, as like, all right, let's see where this takes us kind of, you know, approach. Um, a lot of things were said that I was like, huh, I've heard that before. Huh, that sounds familiar, you know? Um, not everything, but there was definitely a lot of that. I was, it's very impressive or very interesting when, you know, listening to what you were saying, Pat, about these near-death experiences and all these things that, again, many people say these things, and like you said, they, they line up, and, and uh, it's just interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, it's a, it's a trip, man. Like it's 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 really it's really too bad that you know the science only goes so far, you know, because because these people have like you know dedicated their lives to like like the whole Raymond Moody one developing something that you know supposedly gives you five minutes to talk to the like you were saying like the soul before it moves on, you know, like. To, <laughs> You know, I was just thinking of is uh, the movie Flatliners. They kind of do that. Right, right. Uh, trying to take a scientific approach to the near-death experience. Mm -hmm. So, well, I mean, I mean, building a psychomantium. You know, like when it, when I first heard that, not knowing it was a Greek or of Greek origin. You know, when I first heard psychomantium, I thought of uh, Professor X's Cerebro. You know that big Perfect. thing, like you know, like I it. like I thought of like someone just walking in there, and then yeah, then you can see your whole life and have an out of body experience or whatever, and be James right. McAvoy. Yeah. Um, I trip, man. But yeah, that was that was a that was a cool episode. Yeah, that was that was very interesting. Um, thank you for sharing too. Thank you. I, I, yeah, thank that, you. That was, uh, it's kind of interesting cool. to hear almost kind of where medicine or science or whatever you want to call it kind of evolved from this article in 1892 you know that that's something that he just kind of wrote down more of just like obviously it hit him in a way that he was like excited and interested and intrigued by it and was like hey has anybody else done this and and when when so many other people were like yeah that same shit happened to me too and he was like, dude, I got to write this down. Somebody's going to read this later on. And, you know, like I said, it got republished in 1971 or something like that. So I'm wondering if, uh, 1972, I'm wondering if your, your, your doctor, I'm wondering, I was trying to remember if I heard that name during my research. It, yeah. His, his book came out in 1975. Um, but so yes, he probably, but, you know, listened a lot to what this guy wrote in this Swiss Alpine, you know, yearbook thing. Right. And yeah. it uh, took him, I was like, holy crap, these guys need late 1800s you know, late 1800s are talking about the same shit I'm talking about. That's great. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, there was, yeah, several instances, yeah, separated by long periods of time, too. What a but trip. I can definitely see where it's a tough science to, to nail down because you can never prove this stuff. You, you know, there's no way to, it's all what happens inside your brain. Yeah, I love that. It was like, yeah, this older woman that was uh, brought back to life. She had such a crazy story. She was talking about, like, because she talked about it so giddily. She was like, She's like, I remember getting, leaving my body. I remember because I saw the back of the woman that was giving me mouth to mouth. She had such a nice haircut. 
And it was just like so many things she was saying were just like, why would she lie about that? Why, right, you know, right. you know, like why, why would, why would that be, you know, what, what, what would be the point of that? You know, right, like little details that nobody would think of if you were lying. Exactly, or like, and she, yeah, like remembering the haircut, you know, and all this. Uh, yeah. It's just right. like it's a. Uh, yeah, it's it's just really interesting. I don't remember. You know, that kind of goes with when I was doing the uh, doing the channeling thing. Like, you know, again, you know, wondering is my friend faking this? Is this something that she's really doing, or is this a legit, really quote unquote happening? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I, like it's like all the little things that I, it's you know all these little details that I talked to you about. You know, the accent, the words that are used. You know, uh, it's like it sounds very authentic and, and not made up. And usually, you can tell when people are kind of either embellishing a story or just flat out lying mm-hmm. because you know things just don't come together that way and, well, and, you know when you're trying to make that stuff up it doesn't come as natural and then the whole like the uh, I can't explain it to you in three using three dimensional words yeah that, that shit just blew my mind man I was, just, I was like oh god I was like I gotta write that down like what <laughs> Our, our geometry teacher taught us where it was only three dimensions, but they were wrong. <laughs> it was like, like that's how she was talking about it. Like, Take this arsenic and I'll show you. <laughs> like the narrator of the book, because it was an audio book, like he was, a, he was a dude, you know, but it was about an older woman that passed on. So that's, that's why I did the voice. There wasn't that random. <laughs> okay. Just so you guys know. Um, Anyways, yeah, that was a good episode. Let's wrap up this, put a bow on it. Uh, thank you. Oh shit, sorry. Um, yeah, thank you for coming along, Jameson. That was a good episode. Uh, we will see you guys next week. Do you got the um the outro? Um, uh, no, I don't. Okay. Should I yeah, just yeah, do what it. I could do? Bust it. Flip it. Thank you all for joining us for Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast. Uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, wherever you find your podcast. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because they take reviews. Uh, five stars, please. Uh, they don't <laughs> and take also, any other stuff. If you want the full video of this podcast, as well as some extra bonus features, Please follow us on Patreon at HH the Podcast. Also, we'd love to hear from you any sort of paranormal experience, any sort of uh, celebrity sightings, anything Hollywood or haunted. Uh, please send it to hollywoodhaunted at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We will tell your ghost story on our podcast. And other than that, stay spooky, guys. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.